this is a meditation class. Meditation is a way of practicing with silence and learning how to enter into silence. And silence is not just keeping your mouth shut and not speaking or laughing. Silence is a way of discovering the sound within us, what's going on inside our mind hearts. So meditation is like a doorway that helps us get in there. And when we sit down to meditate, first we have to observe the way the mind works and we find out quite a lot. But in the process of observing the mind, we also learn so much that we didn't expect we would find out. We start to see how busy our minds are. We start to see how out of control. And we start to see, of course, the ways in which we react to things in the world, to things in our lives, which do not contribute to the mind's peace. Just that process of observing the interactivity of the mind can be very peaceful because we're just sitting and seeing the way things work in there and how we're put together instead of being caught up in the frenetic activity itself and stressed out by our thoughts, our ideas, our memories, our reactions, our emotions and the situations around us. It's very important, of course, to learn how to open that door into the silence. To see how the noise of the world affects our mood or our ability to sustain a boundary in which we can concentrate on what we need to do. Like if you're studying for exam or if you're trying to work in your office and people are chattering loudly, it's hard to concentrate, hard to stay within your mind space. And that's why when we learn how to meditate and we want to explore the silence, it's good to sit down with a group of people that are committed to the same thing in a room that's quiet and there's no loudspeakers making announcements. You're not in an airport. You're not in a bus station. You're not in a shopping center. And there's no crash next door with children wailing and calling for mom. There's no kennel. There's no dogs and no telephones, no cell phones to answer, no computer with email messages coming in. So you're distracted. Distraction, distraction. There's nothing visibly here to distract us. So when we sit down to meditate and we're distracted, we know that we can't blame what's going on outside. You might start meditating and suddenly you'll hear the ticking of the clock. Ordinarily, we wouldn't be bothered by the ticking of a clock. But when you start meditating, sometimes the silliest thing will annoy you and make it impossible for you to concentrate on the present moment and just be with yourself. Is that true, those of you that have tried? <laughs> Never mind all the chorus of things going through your consciousness produced by your own mind. If you think outside noises can be a disturbance, just wait and see what your own mind will do.
to distract you from just being silent. So it sounds like a good idea. Oh, sure, I can sit here and be still and be quiet. But when we sit down to do it and we try to sustain it, you might be able to do it for one minute. But the idea here is to keep continuous mindfulness. It's a fire alarm. There we go. There is a fire door here, but we'd freeze out there. (laughs) What we learn how to do with meditation is we learn to sit with the noise, whether it's produced by our own minds or produced by people talking in the hall, and we can't control it. We can ask the staff to keep down the laughter, and then other people will come along and start having conversations. Eventually, we have to learn to just be with the noise and to see what's our relationship to that. That's a very important step. In looking at our relationship to sound, to disturbance, then we can start to see it not as disturbance, but just sound that has the potential to change our relationship to situations that we find very annoying or very disturbing or distressing or even stressful. So that when we're coming to hospice to work and we come into a situation where someone is crying or somebody is is angry and, and complaining, that no matter what's going on, and that impacts on our consciousness, we will have learned a way to be with sound, to be with a whining or an angry voice, a distressed voice, without getting overwhelmed or feeling like we can remain quite equanimous and quite stable in the face of that. That takes practice. It's not something you can learn and perfect for sure in one week, two, three, four, even in in a year. Even meditating every day for a year, you begin to learn how. But there will still be situations that are just too upsetting and too overwhelming. And just like in a health club, you want to lose weight. And you go to the club. And you work out really well for six weeks and you lose two pounds and you think great then you start having a few extra desserts so you don't keep up the regime and you fall back to your old habits and pretty soon you put the weight back on the same is true with meditation if we don't keep it up we might think we've gotten to a point where we can handle just about anything And so we don't keep up the practice and then we get into a situation where some simple little thing triggers panic or anxiety or or a lot of stress or a sense of um, discouragement, grim feelings in the heart. We just can't cope. Just not coping with whatever it is that's triggering that. We're not coping. The meditation can help that for sure. But if we don't continue it, when those situations come along and we haven't got a solid base of practice, it's very hard to find the way back through that doorway into the silence of the heart and sustain it. Very hard. You might remember, oh, what was that? Now, how did I do that? 
the hardest time to get back there, to figure out how to return to that silent refuge, um, is when we're upset. It's very difficult to, to remember when we're upset. We have, that's why it's important to practice when we're not upset. We're sitting here we're all very relaxed. Some of you came early and got really calm watching the beautiful landscape. And, and some of you rushed in at the last minute, but now you're much more calm. It's easy to watch the mind, to observe and to get a handle on whatever's coming up when we're in such conducive conditions. But when you're in the middle of a, a situation at work or with a colleague, with a, a child, whatever you're faced with that's bringing up stress, those are the moments when it's very hard to remember how to calm the mind and get back to that island of safety in the middle of the tumultuous, stormy time. So that's why it's good to come together like this with like-minded folk and practice and rehearse what we will need, just like you need a life raft if you want to swim in deep water. When you get into deep water in life, you've got to grab onto something that you know is going to help you float. And that's the value, that's the great support of this practice. Not to mention many side effects, such as, well, if you believe that there's a connection between mind and body, then wherever you can resolve issues on the emotional or psychic level, that surely will have spin-off effects on the health of the body. Just by virtue of the fact that you learn to relax, you learn to let go of tension, you learn to de-stress. And anything that helps us relieve stress helps to unwind tangles that physiologically we have learned to create as pathways of coping with stress. Just by holding on to the stress, the body gets very tight and you might develop uh, chronic pain in your back or just like you when you stress a muscle playing tennis or jogging or lifting something heavy. So when you lift heavy things in life situations, after a while you just can't do it anymore. If you're ca carrying a heavy burden in a relationship, after a while, psychically or mentally, emotionally, you just burn out. So in hospice, if you're carrying heavy burdens just by dealing with other people's suffering, after a while, it becomes hard to go in and face those people with a smile. You just feel like weeping. Or you just get depressed, like people keep dying. All these wonderful people you meet, that's why they come here, because they are dying and they need support. But losing those connections, having a lot of death, most of us lose, start to lose more and more friends, more and more family members as we get old. That toll in itself is hard enough, let alone adding to it by watching strangers who you befriend and develop a connection with die in sometimes quite 
devastating circumstances. They're not ready. They're leaving young children behind or distraught family members. Meditation is a tremendous support for that. It's good that you've come. Those of you that were on the retreat this last weekend and spent a couple of days practicing have begun to see some of the greater benefits at a more deep level than you may have expected. And uh, it's nice to see you back. We'll start with doing some sitting meditation together. And for those of you that have never done this practice, I'll give some guided instructions so that you know how to open the door, how to enter into your heart, and how to sit down in your hearts quite contentedly and then how to concentrate your minds and focus very well here. What you have to do is make a resolution in your mind. I'm just going to sit here quietly for 20 minutes and try to keep noticing my breath, just like a mother who's minding her baby. You never lose sight of your child even if you're in the kitchen and the child's in another room you always have that child in your heart true so this is the same thing that's meditation so you must always keep the baby in consciousness think of it as something so precious the breath of your life that you don't want to ignore it or let it get too far from you always keep it intimately right close to your heart and then it's the way you hold that baby you don't want to crush it no get rid of those thoughts this is this violent we're trying to bring up peace in the heart not conflict so if you're struggling to that extent it's not really meditating it's more of a just in a dignified way just breathing in and out naturally and trying to observe what's going on and if there's a wildness in the mind just bring yourself back to your body in a gentle way trust your body and just notice oh pretty heavy here sitting in the chair then the mind is off again in the past and the future this is not helpful just gently reel it back in gently cradle the baby cradling it in the present moment you don't rush in and grab it you just do it gently because the breath is so subtle very easy to lose you're trying to aim your mind to catch the breath to hold it to study it to investigate it what is this breath anyway and that study that scholarship that research will will bear tremendous fruit for us because the silence is to be found just in in going into that much detail eventually we begin to discover so much by watching the breath that we forget ourselves our selfish self-obsessed self-centered ongoing commentary which takes us far away from center far away we're on the rim on the outer rim and if we want to go to the center of of the source of our true energy being on the outer rim is not balanced we're out of balance 
And you can see the way the more mad the world gets, the more rapidly we move through life, the more busy we are, the more we lose our balance. Is it true? Mm. If that makes sense to you, then you'll see that just by learning how to center and by finding the place of gravity, the center point is like the axis mundi, the intersection of timelessness with time. The timeless is just being present. We're not buying into the time frame anymore. It's a, it's a different kind of diet. This is a diet of emptiness, emptying out the thoughts in the mind. Any time that you spend being mindful of what you're doing, of be, being conscious of, of your life, it does not go to waste. You can collect at least 20 minutes at different times of your day. Every time you go through a door, just as you see the door, I'm going to be mindful, reach for the door, feel the doorknob turning, turning, opening, opening, walking left, right, left, right, and then shutting the door, closing the door, feel the handle. Don't let your mind wander into the office that you're going to. Just get there. Let the getting there be the whole journey. Don't finish the journey while you're still on it. Otherwise, who will have arrived? Or how will you have arrived? What is your arriving? If you arrive in your mind, you haven't actually arrived. You haven't taken the journey there. It might sound silly. I'm just going to my office. Or I'm just going to the shop. Standing in line, doing standing meditation. Conscious living. What is it that we do all these moments that we're not paying attention? We're thinking. And many of the times that we're thinking, our thoughts are full of stress, full of desire. We're remembering things in the past that we can never have again. Or things in the future that are unreachable at the moment. There are many desires that we have that don't serve us very well. And there are many things that we're trying to get that we don't need. So we're following desire, thinking we need things that are going to make us happy. It's not the answer. It's an ephemeral, fleeting happiness. And we spend a lot of effort, a lot of time rushing after it, only to find that it, there it was, happy and then gone again. And we need another fix, another piece of pie, whatever it happens to be. So these thoughts cause us a lot of suffering. But if we are conscious of what's going through the mind, we should really try our hardest to be present and watch the movement of the body, the feelings coming up, and let go the thoughts to empty the mind so that we can have a measure of peace and that we can live, be present for our lives. To really stop and see how are we living is important. You can call it meditation. Or you can call it contemplation. Ponder the way that you live and what meaning there is in life. And let this practice serve that. It's not just clocking up minutes. It's a different way of relating to life through conscious awareness. <laughs>